0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 44. I'm your host, Brooke McCallery, and this is my co-host, Benjamin.
1: G'day, everyone.
0: How are you going? Good,
1: good. This is a big episode for the Slow Home Podcast.
0: (laughs) It really is a big episode. I'm very excited to, to chat to our guest today, but it's also been on the schedule for like four or five months. Yeah, how many
1: times have you had false starts?
0: Four times, I think. Yeah. I went to record this. And this, I don't know if if you'd remember, but we had
1: August last
0: year. Yeah. I I think the first time, that was the first time I got in touch with her. But Mm. um, we probably first tried to record right in the middle of when I was sick and we were having all of those internet problems. So I would, um, you know, I'd get online and then our internet would crap out. And that happened three times. And then the fourth time, Something else came up. But anyway, we got there.
1: We got there in the end. And I don't know whether anyone could hear the, I won't know until I edit it, but the uh, thunderstorm in the background while we're recording this. Yep. It's busting to shatter the windows.
0: Okay. It's pretty dramatic. Yeah, but it is. Uh, But today's awesome guest is um, Gretchen Rubin. The Gretchen Rubin of um, the Happier podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and also uh, of... Sit by myself.
1: Could you just wait until I finish this intro and I'll come and sit next to you?
0: Enjoy the podcast.
1: Thanks, mate. I'll be in there in a minute.
0: It's okay, Toby. The thunder won't hurt you. So Gretchen Rubin is yes, the on this podcast. Yes, She is. Um, I'm sure almost everyone listening would have heard of Gretchen Rubin, the author of, or her most recent book is Better Than Before, but previous to that was The Happiness Project and Happier at Home. Uh, And yeah, the co-host, the host um, and co-host of the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast, which is just killing it at the moment. She and her sister sit down and talk about all different kinds of happiness and habit hacks. Uh, And it's awesome. It's such a cool conversation i really love chatting with gretchen
1: really really cool conversation so it's a uh, it's one of the uh highlights i think so far for 2016 uh we're only a couple of episodes in but um it's already a fan favorite okay <laughs> <laughs> there's the storm
0: shatter, the windows, shatter the windows rip off the roof exactly <laughs> Um, But this is an interesting kind of conversation. I feel like half of it is, you know, me asking questions. The other half, Gretchen kind of puts on her counsellor's hat and we talk about uh, my habit habits and we kind of look a little bit into why I struggle. I mean this is actually something I've spoken about on the show a bit this year, my inclination to go hard into things and then burn out Uh, and I took – Gretchen's quiz, which you can find on her website, which is um, gretchenrubin.com. It's a quiz about the four tendencies of habits and people's um, you know tendencies in learning how to best set habits. Uh, anyway, and I was I talk about this quite a lot in the episode, but it was really, really genuinely enlightening to dig into that and why it might be that, like I've said before, my personality is not necessarily inclined to slow living but certainly benefits from it and i think there's a lot in today's episode about that
1: absolutely we also want to thank those that have recently donated to the slow home podcast through patreon.com
0: forward slash slow sorry i was just watching the hail outside it's hailing it's hailing it's hailing
1: Forward slash slow yes so uh thank you big thank you to
0: Uh, To Alex and Sally and Mirren, who have all recently um, donated via Patreon. And that just – it's such a huge assistance for us in uh, paying things like hosting um, and just keeping the show running and afloat, uh, which is awesome. So, uh, huge thanks to you guys. And as always, for show notes for today's episode. Oh, my goodness. I told you guys.
1: I just wonder whether that's going to come through. It's
0: ice. Uh, so, as always, with uh, show notes for today's episode, you can head to slowyourhome.com and today's uh, episode 44, so forward slash 44, and they will have links to Gretchen's website, her books, her social media.
1: And her podcast.
0: And her podcast, which I would highly recommend you listen to, her and her sister, uh, they're really, really entertaining and lots of fun to listen to. I think, uh, I think that's it. Before we get into today's episode, is there anything else we need to talk about? No, nope, that's it. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy it. Hello. How are you? I'm gr- I'm very happy to be talking to you. Me too. We were just saying off, uh, off air that technology had played a part in kind of delaying this conversation a few months, but it's really good to connect. Yeah, finally it's happening. It is. Um, I mean, I, I guess we'll jump right into it. I just sort of wanted to congratulate you first of all with... The success of your podcast and also your, your new book, it's doing massive things. Um, and I know I see your podcast with your sister, um, we're in the same category in iTunes and I see us kind of dancing around each other sometimes. So that's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. It's, um, you're enjoying doing the, the podcast with your sister. You know, it's so much fun. We just did our
2: first live event together just last week, and that was amazing, like on stage. And um, one of anybody who's read my books knows that my desire to kind of spend more time with my sister, and, and she's one of the most important people in my life, but she lives in L.A., and I live in New York, and we both work, and there's three-hour time difference. Um, and this has been this amazing thing for us to do because now we talk all the time. We have all these adventures together in the world of podcasting um and so i've had it's been fun for me as a writer to have this whole new audience and a whole new way to relate to readers and listeners and to share ideas but then also just personally i get to hang out with my sister you know usually we're not actually in the same room um but we're together and that has been so much fun for me
0: there's something really about um you know the medium of podcasting isn't it isn't there that that really lets you connect both with people who are listening but also the person that you're sharing, you know, sharing the microphone stage or whatever with, um, it's it's sort of, I don't know, it allows a deeper or a different level of connection. No, it really does. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I recently mentioned on my Facebook group that I was, I had the opportunity to interview you and was just completely overwhelmed by the number of people who credit you and your books with changing their lives. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible, really. Um, And, you know, in preparing for today's interview, I've just seen story after story after story of of similar kind of experiences. Um, Have you always been interested in um, happiness and habits? Is that something that you've always sort of felt drawn to understand? Or was there a time in your life that that kind of caused you to shift towards exploring it? You know,
2: that's a very interesting question. I think my whole life I've been very interested in human nature. And if I had to say what is my subject, I would say my general subject is human nature. Um, and But it sort of took me a long time to figure out how I would kind of relate to my subject. That's a very vast topic. Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean, certainly, but it's always been something that, I've been drawn to those that kind that kind of writing and those kind of that kind of research um you know and one of the things that was really interest- in writing better than before my new book about habits, one of the things that was really interesting to me to figure out was something that had always kind of puzzled me, which was you know with habits, it seemed to me to be easier for me to do a lot of things than other people like they, it seemed like other people were struggling more in circumstances that I did not find that difficult, right. but I didn't really, I was like, huh, I never really thought about that. But then in writing better than before, I really had to, I really came to understand myself and, and myself in comparison to other people, which was a huge revelation. And so I think part of it is like, I'd always been interested in it, um, you know, just my own, you know, desire to understand people and myself better as well as sort of an intellectual interest in the subject.
0: Right. Yeah. I want to really dive into, um, you know, the things that you kind of recognized in yourself that make maybe forming habits and positive mm-hmm. behavior and change easier for you. Uh, cause I've done a bit of reading and my husband and I took your, um, you know, the four tendencies quiz. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, was, I hear that. Okay. very, very enlightening actually. Ooh, um, yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Excellent. Um, so you're, uh i guess in a related kind of question you, you do you think that you find those kinds of changes easier because you're a routine person like you enjoy a rhythm to your your days and your weeks and um and you're also i guess uh stronger in willpower or is there some other kind of trait that you you uh you know give credit for for that
2: Well, you know, it's, you, you put your finger on one of the central questions about habits and one of the, one of the things that's really powerful about habits because, and which is this idea of willpower. Now we all understand that willpower is good. Like you want to have a lot of willpower. You want to go through your day with high self-command. This is just something that it's a precious, precious resource that we all need a lot of. And many, many things can tax our willpower and make it hard to exercise our self-control, whether that's, Not thinking about something that's troubling you, whether it's presenting yourself in a certain way, whether it's biting your tongue, whether it's not reaching for something that's in the refrigerator. You know, there's a million going to the gym, million things that you that you need your self-control for. But the fascinating thing about habits is that habits free us from having to use self-control or having to make decisions, which is also very exhausting. Because when something's a habit, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to make a decision. You don't have to use your willpower. So, like, say something like dessert. So you asked me if I want dessert. I say no. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to make a decision. That is just effortless for me because what's my habit? I don't eat sugar. Mm. Uh, Now, a lot of people would not necessarily want that habit. That habit works very well for me, and I explain in the book how I got that habit and why for me – I love not eating sugar. Not eating sugar makes me way happier than eating sugar ever did because I have this crazy sweet tooth. Um, Or, you know, I don't decide to get up at 6 a.m. I don't decide to go to yoga every Wednesday because these are habits I don't decide to put on my seatbelt. Um, And and when we have habits – then these behaviors are on autopilot. So they happen without thinking. And and the and the brain wants to make things into habits because then the brain is free to deal with complex and novel and urgent matters. So you can be thinking about what we should talk about on the podcast while you're brushing your teeth because you don't have to think about brushing your teeth. That just, that's a habit. And so really... Habits are a way to to save willpower. So I wouldn't say that I have a lot of willpower necessarily, but just that I have a lot of habits. So right. I can save my willpower for when I need it. And I am a person who has a high affinity for habits, which is probably why I wrote a book about it.
0: it <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. You're playing to your strengths. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's funny because a lot
2: of people said to me when I said I was writing a book about habits, they'd say, well, why are you writing a book about something that everybody has this negative association with? And I was like, well, that's interesting because I have a very positive association with habits. To me, this, this is like delicious and intriguing, and I, I, can't, I love learning about it. And one of the things that I set out to understand is, What's going on with these people who are having this negative reaction? Like, Clearly, that's going to affect their ability and their desire to form habits, and that's important to understand because if I'm a doctor and I'm trying to get you to take your blood pressure medication or I'm a teacher and I'm trying to get you to learn the multiplication tables, I need to understand how you're thinking about habits because that's going to influence whether I'm able to communicate with you.
0: Yeah. um, And and, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you can read your books from a really personal point of view and just think, how can I use this to affect change in my own life? But um, you can sort of take a big step back and see, uh, you know, ask the question, how can I use this information to better deal with the people in my life and to better help them to, you know, to affect change in their life? Or how can I become a better manager or a better parent or a better friend? Uh, Which is what I find really fascinating about it
2: well it 's interesting because I think with the, with the happiness Project and happier at home, they are very interdirected, and one of the things that I really learned was you know the only person I could change was myself, mm. and that 's sort of hard to accept sometimes that you really can 't change someone else you can only change. and it 's tempting to think, well, I would be happier if somebody if this other person would behave properly, so here 's what they need to do <laughs> for my happiness project like we 've all had that list but what i did find was that when i change a, a relationship changes and when i change others may change and so one way to bring around a larger change is just to change myself with the habits book with better than before i think you i think that it's even more true there that you can see this is how i would change my habit but this is also how i can play a role in helping someone else to change habit like the strategy of convenience This is a super powerful strategy. It works for all different kinds of people. If something's easier to do it, we're more likely to do it. If it's harder to do it, we're less likely to do it. That is just... Just that is just universally true practically. It's crazy how affected we are by how convenient something is. Well, this is a place where you can help someone else. If a person's having is struggling with something, you could say to yourself, Is there a way I can make it more convenient for this person to do it? Can I take out some of the burden? Um, You know, back to the blood pressure medication, can I put that medicine right in front of the coffee machine? So this person has to take their medicine before drinking their first cup of coffee in the morning or can I fill one of those pill cases every week so that this person doesn't have to do it, doesn't have to decide every day like, oh, have I taken this medication, have I not taken this medication, you know, and because out of love, I'm going to take that step and do something for them to make it easier for them to execute. Um, There's a lot of things like that where you see, yeah, I see how I could apply this um, to a team, to a family, to a classroom, to patients um, to make it easier for them to stick to their habits.
0: Um, going back to something you said just a minute ago where, you know, you, you came to the realization that you can't change people. The best way to change is to change yourself, which then shifts, you know, shifts the dynamic of the relationship, which may then help the other person kind of change or, or not, but change the way they kind of relate to you. Um, a lot of people listening to this show, um you know they they're trying to simplify they're trying to maybe declutter their home something like that and one of the com- most common questions i'm asked is i have a spouse or a partner or yes. a roommate who is not interested or doesn't think that you know they have a problem or doesn't think that their clutter is causing any issue how yep. can i engage them with this process yep. um and my yep. advice has always been you can't um you know to first just deal with your own stuff your own clutter your own issues uh and show them by, you know, by way of the benefits that you start to feel that there is a different way and that, you know, it might be something that over time they might adapt. But do you have any advice?
2: Well, you're right. This is something I hear about all the time. And and the problem is, is that people just have different standards Mm. often. It's like one person just doesn't have a problem with it and the other person does have a problem with it. And so the person who wants the cleaner, more clutter-free environment feels like they're being taken advantage of. Because it's like, well, I do all this work to clear clutter and you don't help because you say you don't care, but you benefit because I'm the one that's like closing the cabinets and vacuuming and all that. So it is a problem. And I think you're exactly right. One of the things to do is to get your own stuff under control. I do think it's true, true, like the much as much as you can do to to just get clutter out of the way because – Things that are messy st- tend to stay messy, and things that are clear tend to stay clear. So if you if you try to, like, clean off that kitchen counter every day or, like, get, you know. But then this is another way where, where convenience can make a difference. For instance, I realized that one of the things that bugged me about myself is that I never hung up my coat. So it was out. It was messy. I didn't like it. I was doing it to myself. Like, what what? And then I was like, you know what? I don't like putting things on hangers, but I will put them on hooks. So I put these hooks into our closets, and I mean – presto, you know, it just made it that much easier. Um, but here's another distinction that I noticed. Um, and I think this is something that comes to play in where, pe- where people have, pro- have different standards and environments. And this is the, dif- the dis the difference between simplicity lovers and abundance lovers. And simple, I'm a simplicity lover and simplicity lovers are drawn to environments where th- there's not a lot of noise there's a lot of clear surfaces. Maybe there's a clear wall. There's there aren't that many things out. They don't like a lot of choices. Typically, um, they like things simple. Now, abundance lovers thrive in an environment. There's where there's bustle. Maybe where there's noise. Where there's choice. Like they like collections. They like stuff on the wall. You know, they don't. They're not bothered when there's a lot of things on. Like I don't even like to be in a place where there's a lot of decorative items nicely arranged like I'm like can't we just put this stuff away you know it just it just are like I'm the killjoy who walks into a room where music is playing and without even thinking I turn off the music cuz it's <laughs> too much for me um But so I think sometimes what it is is it's different levels of sort of cleanliness level. But then it's also that some people like that sense of like there's a lot going on and there's a lot of stimulation, and some people are just like I can't take it, it's too much. And it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that they're different sensibilities. And if you can talk about it in a way where it's not like you're right, I'm wrong. You're 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 messy. You're rigid. It's just like. I like it like this. You like it like that. How are we going to handle it? Um, I think that can help sometimes too. But there are people who just don't even see it. I had a friend whose husband was like the messiest person you've ever met. It was like, you know, pig pen from the peanuts. And she did an experiment where they came back from a trip and she left his suitcase open right in the front of the front door. Like you had to literally like step on his clothes in his suitcase to walk into the house. And she's like, I just want to see how long he can go. It was there a month. And she finally gave in. She's like, he simply does not see it. Like they're just oblivious in a way that seems you're like, this has to be an act of aggression, but it's like, they don't see it. It just does not register to them. And so they kind of, they, they sort of can't help it because they don't see it. But yeah. I think that's a rare kind of person. I think most people are just kind of messy.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think I, I like your, your kind of advice to take the, maybe the judgment out of the conversation to begin with and just kind of unpack it and say, well, you know, this is because I enjoy an empty or, a, you know, a simple space and you might enjoy a space of abundance. And that to me it just takes the the venom out of any potential conversation yep. from the beginning
2: And also, many people need justifications. This is one of the things I talk about in the Habits book is that the the people who I call questioners need justifications. And so if you're just like, well, I don't like a messy house. Mm -hmm. Well, then they're like, well, I don't mind a messy house, so suit yourself. But if you say, if you said to them, I don't like a messy house, because what happens is when there's a mess, then important papers get thrown away. Then I can't find the bills and our bills are late. Then I can't find my keys and I'm late for work. Then I can't find my wallet and we all have to spend 15 minutes hunting for the wallet. And then we feel like we feel self conscious we don't want to have friends over because it's going to be such a big ordeal and go through all your reasons you know and then because sometimes people are just like well i don't know why you care and if you're like well these are my reasons then some people are like okay i get it like you have that seems justified um and then also another thing to do is to make it easier for people to clear clutter and this is a weird thing that i i finally figured out sometimes and i don't know about you this is something that i noticed Sometimes things want to be in a place and they will just keep going to that place. And I finally realized instead of moving them from that place where they want to be and putting them where I think they ought to go, I should just decide that that's where they belong. Like my husband had this like weird kind of man bag briefcase thing that he worked from time to time and it kept showing up in our bedroom. And I was like I would take it to where I thought it went, which was like in the bag area in our coat closet. But then I turn around and there it would be like a little puppy sitting on the floor <laughs> looking up at me. And finally I'm like, "You know what? I'm just going to we're just going to store this in his closet." In our bedroom. I don't think it goes there, but it wants to be there and let's just put it there and like not be moving it around constantly. And then it stays put away. And it's the same thing with like, you know, um, mail, like you want to have a trash can right by your mail so you can throw your junk mail away right away instead of having a lot of I used to have this thing where it would move like three different locations. It's like that's insane. Deal with it in one place. That's where it wants to be. And then, you know, because every time you're moving it around, it gets caught, it gets lost, you know, I mean, so sometimes it's helpful just to think, you know, well, maybe this thing needs to be someplace, maybe this roll of tape needs to be in some on some bookcase. And that's just where we're going to keep it because it keeps wanting to be there. (laughs) That's where you keep finding it anyway. Yeah, you keep finding it there. So for some reason, it keeps ending up there. So let it be that's where it belongs. Here's a weird thing. I also I'm obsessed with clutter. I love I love thinking about clutter. It's just it's like it gives me a vicarious buzz just to think of other people clearing <laughs> clutter. Um, is um, th- to have an exact place for things. I find that when I have an exact place for something, I like really enjoy putting it away, and I love the feeling of knowing exactly where to get it. And when I don't know exactly where something is. It's harder to put it away because I'm like, where where should I put that? And then I put it away and then I can't find it, which makes me crazy. And I hate spending time looking for things. But when it's like... This, oh, I bought a new set of AA batteries. Here is the basket on the second shelf of this particular closet where I put the batteries. It's just like, it's like an, it's like a, uh, an archer hitting a mark. You know, it's you're satisfying,
0: like, satisfying, oh. isn't it? It's
2: satisfying. Yes. It's silly how satisfying it
0: is. I do the same thing with my purse and my sunglasses and my keys. I have a tray oh. in my entryway to, to our house and my purse yes. goes at the front of that tray and it has to go at the front. And if someone else puts it away and it's at the back, I shift it to the front.
2: Yes. Because it's very satisfying it really like, to have the this place for everything. But I had this one time, I do sometimes voice myself off on people and, help, and force them to let me clear their clutter. I have this one friend who was super messy, so it was very exciting for me, kind of exhausting for her. Um, but so we did all these things, and we organized her office, and we put so many things away, and we got rid of so much, and we gave away so much, and we threw away so much stuff. and And then... We're like sitting there, and there's like one thing, like a box of stationery left. And I was like, okay, now where does this go? And she just literally turned around beside her, opened up a cabinet, stuck it in, and shut it. And I was like, (laughs) no, that's, don't do that. You know, it felt so wrong to me because I'm like, you got to think, where does this thing belong? Because if you put it where it belongs, it's going to, like, it'll be, that'll be right. But if you just jam it in there because now there's some space in there because we just spent three hours cleaning it out. Well, that's, that's, you're going to be right back where you started from.
0: Exactly. You just get the shove, you know, everything's, get shoved. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I I used to be a big shover. It's taken me a few years and now I'm no longer a shover. I'm a, I'm a placer. I'm a put up most of the time. Um, I guess kind of stepping back, but in a related kind of question to that, a lot of people, um, who I talk to, who read my blog and listen to the show, they, they want to slow down and they want to simplify it. Like they're really high-level, broad goals. Uh, and often they find that overwhelming. You know, if you say to someone, I want to simplify my life, you go, okay, well, where do I start? And then you look around and you see the clutter and then you see the, the complexities in your, you know, your schedule and it just kind of grows and becomes this huge mountain, this insurmountable kind of peak. Um, how, how would you suggest that people could kind of harness habits to make changes that are that big and that broad?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a huge question, I know. Well, I think that I think that a a mistake that sometimes it's tempting to make when you're when you're trying to bring about these changes in your habits is that you give yourself a, a like an, like I want the habit of slowing down or I want the habit of being less stressed or I want the habit of being more present in the moment. No, those are aims. Those are worthy aims, but they're not something that can be a habit. Mm-hmm. And so what you need to do is to really break it down and say to yourself, okay, Uh, I want to simplify my life. What does that mean exactly? And turn it into concrete, measurable actions that you could do. Um, Okay, so what you could do is you could say, okay, I'm going to look at my calendar and I'm only going to do what's on my calendar. So uh, is it on my calendar that I'm going to drive two blocks out of the way and pick up that dry cleaning on my way home? It's not, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going, to, I'm going to take a schedule and I'm going to keep to it. I'm not going to constantly be adding things as I go so that I feel like the faster I run, the further I'm falling behind. That's what You could do that. You could say, I'm going to make a, a, make a schedule and stick to it. That's the strategy of scheduling. Now, the advantage of the strategy of scheduling is that it forces priorities because if you look at your calendar, there's only so much time. And so you can make time for the things that are important to you and then some things may fall away. You've made that decision instead of just sort of like going through your day and getting to whatever you get to. Um, another thing is or you might say to yourself, I want to leave 10 minutes earlier for every appointment than I have been doing because I want to feel like I have plenty of time and I don't want to be late. And so if I would usually leave at 930, I'm going to leave at 920. That's a that's a that's a concrete me- measurable habit that you could do. Um, the strategy monitoring is, like, really pay attention to how you're spending your day. How are you spending your time? How much time are you spending in the car? Some people spend a huge amount of time in the car. How much time are you spend doing stuff that's really boring to you? Like, is there a way you can delegate that or outsource that? Um, but just monitoring where you're spending your time. Um, maybe you feel like you need to simplify your life because you're exhausted. Well, maybe you need to get more sleep. Um, now, the strategy – and then sometimes there are things that people – kind of can't manage like screen time. Like if there's a TV show that you just binge watch and just, or, you know, you're watching tons of something or, uh, you, there's a, 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 like a game that you're playing for hours and hours, or you just online shopping for hours and hours. Maybe you just have to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or like, I'm not going to do it at night or I'm only going to do it during lunchtime or whatever. So that you free up time. Mm. Um, so that you can't, cause, because what does it mean to you to simplify your life? Do you want to get off of a committee? Um, do you want, you know, is there, is there a responsibility that you want to take off your plate? Um, yeah, do you want, do you want to clear clutter? Well, then, like, what's, like, maybe you want to spend a half an hour every day. Maybe you want to, you know, what, what's your plan? One one great thing for fighting clutter consistently is the one-minute rule. Anything that you can do in less than a minute, do without delay. So if you can hang up a code or print a document and file it or write a one-word answer to an email or put a coffee cup in the dishwasher, and that just gets rid of that scum of little inconsequential stuff that sort of clogs up our lives. Um, and that can make you feel kind of overwhelmed and drained, even though they're small tasks. Mm. You just see junk everywhere and you feel like, oh, I can't even get started. Yeah, you, know? you
0: feel kind of antsy and, and yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah. 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 yeah, So I think, um, you know, taking the time to clarify, first of all, what it is, yes. because, I mean, we yes. hear these ideas thrown around yes. all the time of slowing down, simplifying, and we go, oh, well, that sounds great. What does that actually look like yes. to you? Yes. And then yeah. breaking it down into smaller habits and behaviors um, and, and kind of applying them over time. You're probably going because to get
2: even Because even simplify your life, it Does for some people that means stuff. Exactly. Simplify your stuff. For some people that means simplify your time. Well, time and stuff, very different arenas to be worrying about. Yeah. So, the, you know, like what are you actually – you're right. One person can have one thing in their mind and the other person could have a totally different vision of what, that, that, what they're aiming for. And you're not going to get there unless you take the steps to remedy whatever your particular issue is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly, exactly it. And um, I mean, I personally, once I figured out what it meant, <laughs> it was much yep. easier to then feel like I was on the right track and not waste my time doing other things. And, slowly, yeah. you know, slowly the negative things that I didn't want to be spending my time or my, you know, my energy on, they started to fall away because I was actually spending my time and my energy on the things that I did want to, you know, did want to improve and did want to um, spend more time kind of engaged with. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, So, Ben, my husband and I, we took your um, four tendencies quiz. Mm, Um, Yes. So fascinating. I've been. uh, The timing was perfect, actually, because I took it. I've only just taken it recently. um, Even though I felt like I had a pretty good handle on um, on the way I I dealt with things and change. Um, So I'm. I came back as an obliger. Um, mm-hmm. But I was reading quite a lot of the uh, the descriptions and could see also a heavy influence of rebel.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, obligers and rebels. There's strong affinity there. Yeah,
0: and I could really it was it was just fascinating to then look back over my behaviour and, and ways that I've changed and chosen to change or failed to change, um, and could see really easily how um, how uh, I I had set myself up to fail (laughs) I guess but Mm. you know um and this year Ben and I are doing every month we're choosing a new experiment like a slow living uh experiment to to kind of report back on on how it impacts us and whether or not it's something that we feel we'll keep up with and the first month is actually we've quit sugar Mm. Um, and I found it really interesting first of all that the answer is just no first of all that you know no i'm not having anything with sugar in it no i'm not going to to eat out and no, i'm not going to eat bread and no, i'm not, you know it's really easy in a way to say no because the answer is strictly strongly no but the other thing that i'm finding quite interesting is i'm doing it with someone and reporting our you know our results and our um, our challenges our failures our, our wins to people so i really feel like i owe them the you know my full efforts whereas if i was probably if i was doing it for myself i would probably just wuss out at some point.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, and that's a good, that's an excellent way of knowing about your tendency and then shaping things in a way that's going to allow you to stick to your habits.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I, I can already see that this year I will be approaching it differently. You know, we've been getting up and doing yoga every morning, the two of us. Um, and I know that there are days that the only reason I get up is because Ben gets up. And there are mm-hmm. days where it's similar for him as well. Um, he, he tended yeah, we'll to be see. more an obliger and then... Um, uh, the other, like the other arm. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. A polder. Um, yes. Questioner. Yep. Yes. Um, so it, it, we have a kind of a curious mix, and I think we work quite well together for that reason. Um, because he will drive deadlines and, you know, he'll be really on to making sure that we do what we've said we're going to do before or by the time we've said we're going to do it. Um, And I sometimes drag my feet. Well, you know, they want me to do it, so I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's really, it's so, it's fascinating to kind of um, look at that framework, look at your life through that framework and see how those kind of uh, tendencies impact our choices and the things that we're ab- able to get done.
2: So, sh- do you think I should explain them uh, yeah, briefly? Yeah, would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the four tendencies—it's like a framework that divides people into four categories: upholder, questioner, obliger. That's what Brooke was just saying. She and her husband are, um, and rebel. And so this has to do with how you meet an expectation, an outer expectation like a work deadline or an inner expectation like a New Year's resolution, like I want to simplify my life. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. So they they meet a New Year's resolution, they meet a work deadline without much fuss. They want to do what's expected of them, but what they expect from themselves uh, is just as important to them. They'll just as likely to stick to that. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They hate anything inefficient or arbitrary or irrational. They are um, they always want to have justifications for whatever they're doing. But once they've accepted that something makes sense, they can do it with no problem. So in a way, they make everything an inner expectation. Then obligers, which you say you and your husband are, and I have to say this is the largest tendency, the most people of everything fit into the obliger mm-hmm. tendency, they readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So you say like, well, when I have my audience reading my blog and I have my husband with me, it's not hard for me to quit sugar. But if it was just me quitting sugar on my own, I might not be so likely to stick to it. That's a very, that is the obliger pattern. They can meet external expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And then rebel. Rebel, uh, they, they resist outer and inner expectations. So they want to do what they want to do. When they want to do it in their own way, if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. Um, and rebel is the smallest tendency. Very few people are rebels. But my tendency, the upholder tendency, who readily meet outer and inner alike, that's also very small. Most people are either questioners or obligers. And and you and your husband being obligers, there's a lot of obligers. So that makes sense. That And I'm an upholder, you know. And uh, and that's probably why I wrote a book about habits. You know, that's like the kind of thing that appeals to an upholder. <sighs> <laughs>
0: yeah, um, and that's I mean, going back to what you said earlier, that that tendency is is why you found uh, mastering habits and getting more done and things uh, things that other people struggled with weren't a struggle for you. Was yeah. that that was due to the fact that you have a tendency as an upholder? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, and I, and I, it's not like, and all these tendencies have strengths and limitations. They all include people who are highly successful and also big losers. Um, there are great things about being an upholder. I love being an upholder. There are also negatives to it, you know, um, sometimes, and it's not like we can always form a habit easily, but it just tends to be easier for us. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most people can kind of tell what they are just from a brief description. There is a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com, if you want to take a quiz and sort of have have an answer presented to you with kind of a little report on what you might tend to find about your tendency. Um, but I think if I had to say, like, what is the most important thing about the tendencies, like takeaway um, – It is for obligers to understand that if there is an inner expectation that they are having trouble meeting, like it's hard for them to quit sugar, it's hard for them to exercise, it's hard for them to um, make the efforts that they need to make to switch careers, whatever it might be. The answer is always outer accountability. Once they plug in outer accountability, like doing something with a spouse, doing something for an audience, doing something with a friend, hiring a coach... Um, starting an accountability group, there's a starter kit on my site, GretchenRubin.com, for starting a habits group of people to hold each other accountable, then they can do things no problem. They just need that outer accountability.
0: Yeah, I found last year I started – previous to that, I guess I'd always told myself that I worked – best alone, you know, I was a real lone wolf mm. and I, I that's, that's where I got my best work done and that's where I was able to sink deepest into things. Uh, last year, I started to work with some people, collaborate on certain projects and things like that. I was amazed to see how much more productive uh, and effective I was once I started to engage with people. It was just uh, a massive wake-up call for me and I think that plays right into the, the whole obliger tendency. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, and it's it's uh it's really helpful to know if you're trying to manage yourself like what do you need to give yourself in order to stick to a habit or if you're trying to help someone else stick to a habit. You know, if you um I was talking to a rebel the other day. Actually, we interviewed him on the on the podcast. This guy, very successful guy named Near Ale, and he's um a rebel and he was saying that when he was starting out in consulting, he had a great boss who was like Okay, here's the problem. I don't know the answer. I don't have time to figure it out. Here, take three months. Call me if you run into a roadblock. But otherwise, I'm not going to check in with you. Go fix it. And and he was like, that was amazing. He did great work. But then later on, he got, had a different boss and the boss was micromanaging him and checking in with him every day and he hated it and quit. Um, now, with an obliger, it might be really much better to have somebody who's supervising you where you feel like they're holding you accountable. Now, no one likes to be totally micromanaged. Nobody likes to be completely controlled. But you might work better with supervision and deadlines and a sense of, of obligation to other people. Or that might actually turn you off. And you're like, the more you tell me what to do, the more I'm going to tell, me, tell you you're not the boss of me and like not do what you want. And so it's important to know, are you dealing with a rebel or are you dealing with an obliger? Because the like the same things are not going to work on those two people.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Even listening to you that there, I can see examples in my life where I've swung wildly between the two, you know, where mm. I definitely do – um, partic- I guess it 's down to the work that i 'm doing as well the work that i 'm doing now I love I really enjoy it um, but there 's also a lot more of myself in it, so I feel like the risk is greater um, mm. you know so working with someone is really helpful for me to push through those barriers um, whereas it previously when I was in jobs that you know i had no I had no invested you know, interest in I would really push back against my boss because like, you, you know you tell me to do that i don 't want to do that you know you 're not the boss of me.
2: There's a very striking pattern among obligers called obliger, which I call obliger rebellion, which is obligers will meet, 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 meet expectations, and then at a certain point they kind of snap, and they're like, okay, that I'm not going to do, and I won't do that. And sometimes it's sort of small and symbolic, um, and sometimes it's enormously destructive. Um, and so you do, if you're an obliger, you really want to watch out for your, because obligers do tend to get into these, they do tend to get resentful and burned out and they are often taken advantage of. They feel like they're being exploited and they, they often are being exploited. Um, and so, and so this obliger rebellion can be, I mean, several, weirdly, this is like a weird pattern within obligers. Several obligers have told me they do the very same thing, which is there was somebody in their office who kept, um, kind of um giving them uh, trouble for being a little bit late, even though it didn't matter. And so then now they're like literally sitting in their cars for 10 minutes, <laughs> make sure they're late. Cause they're like, you, you know, uh, i not, you know, I'm not, I'm, you can't, you know, so this is like a little obliger rebellion, but often obligers are, are really valuable employees. And, um, because they're meeting external expectations and not meeting their inner expectations. Like, because in a i might be like, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you out. I got my own thing to do. But but an obliger is likely to help you. Um, and then they'll do things like just quit and say. And then and then you know, even when the boss comes and says, we don't want to lose you. How can we make this right? They're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm. It's over. Or they'll blow up a friendship after 20 years to be like, you know what? I've had it with you. And it's just over there's no notice to cure there's no there's no period of negotiation um, and that can be very destructive so you want to avoid those periods of obliger rebellion and if you're around an obliger you want to help them not get to that point of
0: of burnout and I guess that's um, where other kind of behaviors would come in um, things like taking time and understanding where the edges are of your you know of your right. your capabilities and your coping mechanisms and all that kind of thing because uh, I know that's definitely something that i've always struggled with like i'll push and push and push and push and say yes and say yes and say yes and then just hit this brick wall um you know and either crumble um you know physically or emotionally or just get really resentful and burnt out
2: yeah well, and the thing is, also it's not—it's often not managed well. So mm-hmm. it's like people will work, 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 and then right, then they're like, now I'm in bed for a week, or now like somebody was like, you know, this person just kept asking me to do more and more and more and more, and so finally I just didn't answer emails for a week. Okay, well that's hard to manage, you yeah. know. Like there's a better way to deal with that than kind of this explosive, ref- you know, refusal, um, because hitting that brick wall, um, it, it might be very—it might be hurtful to the obliger himself or herself um it can often it can be kind of a form of self sabotage it can look like self sabotage um if it's interdirected, directed or it can be very destructive to relationships or to reputation um you know if you're if you've got a big project and then you're just like you know what I'm done I'm not going to help out anymore and then and, and everybody's like wait um or like a nurse who was saying how she was, her, their boss was, their manager was always like asking her and these few other nurses to pitch in when they needed the shifts. And she was like, if you need me, you need me. And then she started noticing that all these other nurses who were calling in sick were like posting on Facebook, like their fun <laughs> adventures during the day. And she became so resentful. She's like, now I know, I won't take any extra shifts. Yeah. You know, I refuse. So, okay. You know, it's like you want to be able to find that balance in the mm-hmm. workplace um, or at home. Um, where an, uh, an obliger was saying how, um, she, her, she, her children were complaining about that she made she, that you know that she was making dinners that they didn't like. So finally, she's like, "Okay, you make your own dinner." And she didn't make dinner for like a month. And so they were. And it's like, and so sometimes a rebellion is good because other people see like this is not working for this person, and they might cure it. They might step in to help. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's not done in a way that like le- leads to positive change. Ideally, it leads to positive change. It's like a cry for help. You know, like this isn't working for me. Others need to, I mean, I heard an amazing story of a person who um, was a boss and had a very valuable obliger. And he said she was, everybody wanted her on their team because she made everybody look good. So as a consequence, she got pulled onto many, many projects. And um, he said at her annual review, he told her, You're doing too much work too well. And I mean that as a sincere criticism. Because he was aware, as he should have been, rightly so, it wasn't sustainable. Mm. She was being taken advantage of, she was doing too much work, she was being dragged into too many people's projects. It wasn't and he's like, We gotta take you off some of these things. Because this isn't a way for a person to do work do their best work over the long term. And so he said, You have to come off of, you know, these three projects and then it was much easier for her to manage her workload. So sometimes you have to step in for, for an obliger, you know, in order to keep that obliger rebellion from building. Um, because obligers, you know, they do need – sometimes, you know, they say things – I mean, even when you said something like take time for yourself, obligers aren't very good at taking time for themselves unless other people hold them to it. So, I mean, I know somebody who was in an accountability group, and literally she the group was holding her accountable for things like going to a movie and getting a massage – And this sounds ridiculous, but it's like that's what she needed. She needed people to say, like, did you go get that massage? So she felt like she had to because otherwise she just never went. (laughs) And then she got burned out and resentful and angry, you know, so it's like. Whatever works for you. If you need to be held accountable, get the accountability.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to you, thinking you maybe you're tired of having every conversation turning into kind of a counseling session. Oh, I love
2: it! I Do love you? it! Okay. I love it! Yes, tell me. I would love to hear more about your experiences with it. <laughs> no, because it so enriches my. Uh, understanding to hear people's how it plays out with people i mean you hear these examples i love these examples
0: yeah no it's um it's fascinating i'm just listening to you speak about uh you know the obliger rebellion thinking yeah that's it you've just nailed it you've just absolutely nailed my um my approach to these kinds of things because i'll just dive in and you know want to uh please people and want to, you know, do what I've said I'm going, I'm, I was always going to do and stick to my word. Problem is sometimes my word goes way beyond my actual capabilities or my boundaries. Uh, yes. and That's when resentment kicks in. And the last year I've been um, much, much better at acknowledging it and getting better at, um, at, you know, creating strategies of for not kind of dividing myself up into too many little pieces and, and stretching myself too thin. But it's well, let me ask you
2: this. Though. When yeah. you do fall into Obliger Rebellion, how have you gotten out of it?
0: Mm. Um, it's a really good with question. time or? definitely Time definitely does play a part. Um, I'll feel like that red-hot <laughs> resentment, anger, rage kind of feeling slowly dissipates over time, um, particularly if I'm given time and distance. Um, you know, I had a, a situation last year that just pulled me, and it wasn't. It actually wasn't necessarily anybody's fault because the situation became, you know, much more inflamed than anyone thought that it would, and was just taking way, way, way too much of my time and energy. But by the end of by the end of it, I was just so resentful and you know, completely filled with rage about it. Um, and over a couple of months, you know, I stepped way back and became much less available and you know, the world didn't explode. It was fine. And that, um, that, that, that resentment kind of started to dissipate. It's still there. Um, but it's definitely time, something that helps, um, not so much in, in those kinds of instances, but maybe in, um, more personal relationships and things like that when you feel like you're being taken advantage of. Sometimes it helps to look at things for me um, from the other person's perspective, just to understand um, their needs and their priorities and why we're kind of butting heads over it. Um, but more than anything, it's me just recognizing that I've done this to myself. I'm the one who said, yes, I'm the one who's continued to do things when it became um, you know, a negative part of my life uh and I can't really point the finger at others I'm the one who's who's still making myself available so now it's about learning to either say no or learning to you know say not yet or not now or um and feeling okay about that probably the thing that I struggle with the most is feeling guilty um about saying no or not being there for someone and um yeah I don't know if that answers your question but
2: yeah that's interesting um, I think, cause I think that's a big issue for people is how to, how to resolve it. Like mm. once it starts, how do you stop it? You know,
0: there's been uh, many instances where I've done something similar, like what you said, you know, you mentioned before, I just stopped answering phone calls or I've just stopped answering emails and it's completely, um, a sabotaging kind of thing. It either affects me, uh, and my reputation or what people think of me, my credibility or it affects whatever I'm working on or the relationship, Um, and I just do it because it gets, it's too hard. Like, I don't know what else to do. I don't, I'm not managing that feeling very well. So I just opt out. I will ignore emails. I'll ignore messages. I'll ignore, um, you know, phone calls. Uh, so I've done that a lot. I haven't so much blown up. Um, you know, uh, I, I've quit a couple of jobs, but not in, you know, a big sort of, um, uh, kind of explosion of rage or anything like that. Um. But I just had enough, and there was no. Once I get to that point, in some situations, there is no turning back, and I know that. You see, and that's that's the
2: thing that's interesting from a, um, like from the t- from the viewpoint of another tendency, because it seems like why you know because they'll say things like, well, why didn't you why didn't you tell your boss that it was ridiculous that everybody was making you do this work, or like why didn't you just say no when they asked you if you would go to that conference, like. one of the things that's too bad is I think the other tendencies tend not to be very sympathetic to obligers. Like, because for them, it's that that pressure, it's counterbalanced in some ways, because upholders have the have the counterbalancing pressure of inner expectations. Questioners, everything's an inner expectation, so they don't feel any obligation to meet an outer expectation unless they agree. So it's easy for them to say no. Rollers like, I'm gonna do what I want. So you guys knock yourself out because if I don't want to, I won't. And so from their own perspective, for all of them, they don't understand, they're not they don't sympathize with what the obligers feel. And which makes it worse, you know, because the obligers have this feeling of pressure and the people around them obligers understand, but the other people are like, Well, why didn't why you got yourself into this. You said yes <laughs> You agreed to do this. If you didn't want to do it, why did you? Why did you say you would? Why do you feel this pressure to do it? And, and that's not helpful. You know, I think once you understand the tendencies and you understand these patterns of behavior, it's much easier to be to see what's going on. Like I had a guy who said to me, "Oh, it drives me crazy because every year my wife, we have all her her relatives come for Thanksgiving dinner. My and one of the things about obligers they often feel like tasks attached to them personally, oh, so yeah. they don't want to outsource or delegate. Like they feel like I have to do this myself. So you'd say all she would come and then she would want to clean up the whole house, then make this big dinner, serve this big dinner, do all this cleanup, and she was exhausted and she was really resentful. And 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 she wanted him to help, and he would be like, hire a cater, Let's get some staff in here to help. It's your family. If you want to cook it yourself, you can, but don't drag me into it because I have no interest in doing that. If you, you know what I mean. And so he's like, well, what am I going to do? And I was like, you're not speaking obliger language. You need to say to her something like, look. We're having your whole family here. They want to hang out with you. They don't want you to be distracted by the kitchen. You need to make time for them. Let's ha- let's bring in the dinner so you can give them your time. Or you know what? You get exhausted. You get crabby. And then that's no fun for anybody. We want this to be a lovely holiday experience. If you want them to really feel like they're having fun, they're going to want to sit down with you. So let's bring in somebody else who can help out so that you can be there for these guests who are, who really are there for you. And then that's, that's obligers understand that. That's like, okay, uh, this is what I'm meeting the outer expectation of other people. Because if you're just like... Like, well suck it up you know then they're going to be like well I have to do this right you know so when you understand how to respond to somebody else's values then you can you can reach them in the language that
0: they'll understand and I guess that's the gold like that's the the kernel of beautiful truth in your book is that it helps you not only make changes in your own life but to then relate and engage with people who have other tendencies in such a, a more like, in a much more positive Kind of way, and um, you know, from a place of not even necessarily understanding, but at least understanding their different tendencies, and I, I can see that being so incredibly valuable in so many different ways.
2: Well, you know, I feel like it does. Like mm. I feel like at least for myself, like my husband's a questioner and now I just get along with him a lot better because I used to be, I'm an upholder. And so I'm like, if he asks me to do something, I just do it. I don't even question it. He's like, can you go find us our mortgage papers? I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't care. What You must need them. So I will just go get them for you because I know where they are and you don't. So fine. But he's like, why should I? And I was like, can you just be helpful for once? You know, and now I understand he just needs to know why. If I just say to him, Um, you know, I just give him a reason. You know, like, um, you know, uh, we need to we need to clean up this closet because my parents are going to come for the weekend, and as it is now, there's no room for them to hang up their clothes. So we need to do it by the end of the month when they come. He's like, okay, that makes sense. That's a reason. That's that's valid. But if I just say like, oh, come on today, let's tackle that closet. He's gonna be like, I don't care. Like we never use that closet. Why should why why do I want to spend my Saturday afternoon doing that? For him, that's totally valid. Mm. Yeah, and I
0: guess, like you say, understanding that just means that you're you're guaranteed to get along better. You know, you, you yeah, you, you, re- you recognize what's what's a genuine, um, you know, argument to to have, and what's just the butting up of two different kind of tendencies. Right. It's not that
2: one person's right and one person's wrong. Yep. It's just that people have different, just feel feel uh, differently. Mm. They have different views.
0: So, one last question. Um, because I feel like we've just, you know, you've sat through a counseling session with me. (laughs) Um, like personally, have you, um, is there a habit that you've like a positive habit that you've brought into your life or a a habit, a negative habit that you've quit that you're most proud of?
2: Well, I did quit eating sugar and I'm very proud of that because I'm, you know, it's a big habit. It was pretty effortless for me. Um, uh, as it turned out, the way the whole thing, you know, I talk about the strategy of the clean, of um, the lightning bolt and how that happened, but it's just had so many positive consequences for, in my life in terms of everything like just pure vanity of losing weight and not feeling hungry all the time, which was a huge pain. Um, I, you know, my father also went low carb when I went low carb and for him, like his blood work, it's like amazing. He literally had that thing where you go in and your cardiologist is like, Hey Jack, what have you been doing? Because all your numbers are like completely headed in the right direction. And like, they'd been inching worse and worse. And it was like gigantic U-turn, you know, super like your fantasy meeting with your doctor that you never have. So that's, that's, that was a really powerful, um, habit that I, that, you know, it's, it's a very pervasive habit. Um, but you know, there's many things of, like, as I've got into this, there's many things about me that made that easier. For one thing, I'm an abstainer. So like all or nothing works for me. So mm-hmm. this is a very extreme way of eating. I'm an upholder. So I take very great satisfaction in kind of upholding the rules that's satisfying for me. I'm also not very, um, it doesn't really bother me to do things in a way that other people might think is kind of weird or kind of rude even. So I could go to a dinner, par- people are like, but what happens when you go to a dinner party and like they serve you mashed potatoes? I'm like... I don't eat mashed potatoes, whether I'm at a dinner party or not, you know, like, I just don't eat, I just don't eat it. And what I find is nobody really cares. But it doesn't bother me for some people that really bothers them. And mm-hmm. so it's harder for them. They feel more uneasy in those kinds of situations. Somebody said to me, um, well, you couldn't possibly go to somebody's birthday party and not have a piece of birthday cake. I and mean, that's just rude. And I was like, If you think that another adult cares if you have a piece of their birthday cake, I mean, like, no, I don't think they care. And if they do care, I don't care, which is not very nice of me. You know, I think there's a little bit of me that's kind of like, eh, um, which makes it easier to do this, but maybe makes me kind of less fun to be around. Um, So that, uh, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of kind of habits experts would say, well, you couldn't really change all of your eating habits overnight, Mm. You know, you have to work, you have to do substitutions, you have to work up to it slowly. No, not no. so much. But you just did, yeah. I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of things came together. Okay. Um, which I describe in the book. Like I read this book called Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs and I was just utterly convinced,
0: utterly convinced. Mm. I think some, and that's the other thing. When you, when, when the time's right to make a change like that, the time feels right. You know, there's a, a, a surety sometimes, I, I feel, when we've made big, big decisions that seemingly come out of the blue. You look back and you, you see that there has been a whole host of things kind of coming together over time yes. to make it the right time to make that change.
2: Yes, I, I think that's 100% true. But the thing that's that can be frustrating about that is that sometimes like you want to evoke that and you kind of can't. There's sort of a ripeness to it. And certainly with the strategy of the lightning bolt, a lot of people have said to me, like, well, I read that book and that didn't happen to me. And I'm like, I know. It just It's not like you can't make it happen. It's something that happens to you. Like maybe you have a conversation with something and they say something and it just – I mean, my aunt was having a conversation with somebody and they were like, man, you talk like a lawyer. You should go to law school. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go to law school. Like it had never occurred to her before. And then off she goes to law school, which is like, you know, a giant commitment. But just sometimes like one conversation or one random fact or you go see a documentary or something and you just have this radical change of your habits. But you kind of can't plan for it to happen that mm-hmm. sort of have the other I have 21 strategies of habit change 21 ways that we can change our habits and and it's great that there's so many because some work for some people and not for others some work sometimes and not other times um some you know there's all different combinations um but the strategy of the lightning bolt is the only one that happens to you. You can't consciously control it. The other ones are within our conscious control. And so those are the ones that we can set out to do. But it's important to understand the lightning bolt so that if it happens to you, you sort of see you can make the most of it.
0: Yeah, you, you, yeah that's exactly right. You understand what's happening and you, you look at it as an invitation to make that change. Yes, yeah. yes. yes. Ah, that's wonderful. Well, um, thank you so much. Um, I'd really, I would really just want to encourage people to go and – check out your most recent book, but also your, pre- your previous books as well. Um, Gretchen Rubin.com is your home on the internet, isn't it? That's the best place yes. for people to connect with you. Um, really great blog posts and quizzes and all sorts of cool things for you to sink your teeth into. But, um, Gretchen, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, it's
2: my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun.
0: This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.